How do you approach your prayer life? I can tell you with certainty that prayer is not about getting God to do things for you. Rather, it's a matter of properly recognizing and honoring God. It's humbly recognizing how needy you are and how dependent you are on Him. The Lord's Prayer, or more properly, the Disciples' Prayer, is a model for you of God-honoring prayer. Stephen Davy called this lesson the model prayer. Just about every Christian I meet would agree that prayer ought to be a priority in life. But the truth is, and just about every Christian I meet responds well with a religious survey taken uh, not too long ago that only about 20% of Christians spend 10 minutes or more in praying every day. Well, chapter 11 of Luke's gospel begins by telling us here in verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus is not just praying here, but he's providing a model. Now, apparently his disciples are watching. Whether they can hear his words or not on this occasion, we're not told. But we do know that they've heard him pray before. Now, at this occasion, one of his disciples is moved to make a request of Jesus. And he's going to make it on behalf of all of them. He says here, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, by the way, this is the only, the only time the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. Not teach us how to walk on water, but they, they request that he teach them how to pray. And the Lord responds by doing uh, just that. He's going to give them something not necessarily to memorize, but to serve as a model for prayer. Most people call this model prayer Uh, the Lord's Prayer, when it really ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer. Now, if you've been sailing along with me on this wisdom journey, you might recall our earlier lesson in Matthew 6, uh, where Jesus spoke similar words as these in, in his Sermon on the Mount. I happen to believe these are two different occasions. The Sermon on the Mount was delivered to a massive crowd But here the Lord is speaking just to his disciples. And and that explains why the two prayers have slightly different wording. This model prayer in Luke's gospel emphasizes the characteristics of true God-honoring prayer. And, And I want to pull out six different characteristics. Here's the first one. Genuine prayer is focused on the divine audience. Jesus begins here in verse 2 by addressing the prayer to the Father. Now, let me tell you, that'd be a shocking way to start praying. And and that's because the Jewish people knew nothing about an intimate family relationship with God. God was referred to as Father only seven times in the Old Testament. And even then, it, it was a national reference. It was never personal. So, Teaching them to open their prayer with the word Father was really a wonderful invitation to the children of God, them and us. And it's also a qualifying word. In other words, you can't pray unless you can call God your Father. When God the Son becomes your personal Savior, God the Father becomes your personal Father. And it's on that basis that you approach him with confidence. Here's the second characteristic. 
genuine prayer honors God's reputation or name. Verse 2 continues, hallowed or sacred be your name. You see, this is essentially praying, let me keep your name sacred in the way I live as your child. Help me to live in such a way that nobody would be surprised to learn that you're my father. Beloved, God's reputation is really not one ounce better than your reputation out there in the world. In fact, your reputation actually determines his reputation to other people. Here's the third characteristic. Genuine prayer should be focused on God's kingdom. Verse 2 concludes here by saying, let me tell you, this request has room for only one king. If we're going to be the king of our own castle, then we can't pray this prayer. We're praying here that we want him to reign in our lives as king. But this request also looks forward to and and is praying for the coming of Jesus Christ's literal thousand-year millennial kingdom on earth. That kingdom is going to follow the seven-year tribulation period, which brings that generation of Israel to full repentance, as we'll learn as we continue our journey into the Book of Romans eventually. See, we live our lives looking forward to the coming reign of Jesus Christ on earth. One author writes that the kingdom of God isn't just a destination where we're going to live one day. It's a motivation for the way we live right now. Now, with that, verse 3 shifts from the glory of heaven, or the kingdom, as one author puts it, down to the dusty streets of everyday life today. Here it is. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, that gives us another characteristic of genuine prayer. Here it is. It recognizes our daily dependence on God. And let me say, this kind of prayer request is more than bread uh, on a breakfast plate. This request actually leads us to live today and trust God for tomorrow. You see, Jesus is teaching us to be satisfied with bread today. And every time we satisfy our hunger, we have one more reason to thank him as I've already said in earlier studies, the, the Lord is teaching us here to pray for bread, not cake. So, in other words, Lord, give us just what we really do need one day at a time. Now, with that, the Lord teaches us another prayer request here in verse 4. Forgive us our sins. This is the fifth characteristic of genuine prayer. It acknowledges our need for forgiveness. And by the way, this request is why this is not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus never needed to pray this because Jesus cannot, Jesus did not sin. This is our prayer. And keep in mind, this is not a prayer for salvation. This is a prayer for communion between believers and their Father on a daily basis. This is our daily prayer. And we don't have to be saved every day. We are saved and sealed forever the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. So this request here, forgive us our sins, is a prayer for daily forgiveness so that we can have daily fellowship and communion with our Father. You know, when I sin against my wife with some selfish act or some unkind word, I don't have to marry her all over again, but I do need to restore fellowship with her. And how do I do that? I ask for Forgiveness. And that's the picture here. 
Now, verse 4 doesn't end with our asking God for forgiveness. Jesus adds this significant phrase here. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, don't misunderstand again here. Jesus isn't saying God will forgive us because we've forgiven others. He's saying we should forgive other people just like we've been forgiven. So in a very personal manner, the Lord effectively teaches his disciples to pray, Father, teach us to treat other people's debts like you've treated ours. Yes, uh, somebody out there is indebted to you. Uh, They owe you something. They might owe you money. They might owe you an apology. They might owe you restitution or kindness. They might owe you gratitude. Then God brings them to a recognition of their offense against you, and they come to to you and they ask for your forgiveness. So what are you going to do? Well, forgiven people ought to be forgiving people. And let me tell you, you are never more like your heavenly father than when you choose to forgive someone else. And you're never more unlike your heavenly father than when you refuse. Now, the last characteristic of genuine prayer, here it is, it seeks help in resisting temptation. Verse 4 concludes by saying, and lead us not into temptation. Now, I got to tell you, that almost sounds like God is responsible for us being tempted, and we're asking him, you know, not to do it. The idea, however, is this. We're praying, Father, cause us not to yield to temptation. Satan is the original tempter. In fact, his kingdom works in cooperation with our fallen flesh. It puts an appealing face on sin, and Satan never lets up. He never lets up because sin is something, well, he knows we're interested in. So this prayer is an admission that our hearts are the problem. You know, our hearts are little sin-manufacturing plants where temptation is invited to come and work, and we give it a key to every room in the building. See, you can't decide to get rid of temptation, but you can decide not to go along with it. You, You can decide not to hide it to plan for it, uh, to make room for it. This prayer is an admission you can't handle temptation. Lord, lead me away from it. Uh, You want to be like Martin Luther, the reformer, who made this point 500 years ago when he wrote, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And that's what you're trying to avoid. Lord, please help me. Please help me. And with that, the Lord wraps up this model prayer. Why do we need to pray? Well, we have all of these reasons why we need to pray. But at the heart of it, we don't need something from the hand of God as much as we need to understand the heart of God as we walk with God. Well, until we set sail next time on our wisdom journey through God's Word, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey and a lesson he called The Model Prayer. The Wisdom Journey is produced by Wisdom International. 
We'd enjoy hearing from you and learning how God is using these lessons to build you up in the faith. On the bottom of each page on our website, there's a link that you can use to send us a voice message. Click that link, record your message, and we'll receive it right away. Join us again next time as Stephen continues the wisdom journey. 